What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Broadcasting from Brisbane, Australia, this is The FOMO Show. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And this is a podcast where you'll hear about blockchain, cryptocurrency, emerging markets, and future tech in relatively plain English. We'll help you stare across what's going on so you don't get the fear of missing out. You can find us at FOMO.show or by searching for The FOMO Show on your platform of choice. Everything in the show is in the show notes. You can find links to any of the stuff we're talking about and uh, timestamps so you can skip to the right part. Yeah, and look, if you've just subscribed to the show or subscribed recently and you're trying to find the other episodes, we've been getting a few messages from people saying we can only see 10 episodes back. Where are all the other episodes? Generally, that means that you're on a podcast player which only pulls in the last 10 episodes. Right, so right. you just got to go up the top somewhere. There'll generally be a button that says download all episodes or retrieve all episodes. Click on that. And it should bring in all the rest of the episodes right. so you can listen to them. Alternatively, if you can't find that, you can just go to FOMO.show slash podcast. So FOMO.show slash podcast and all of our archives are there. Mm. And if you click on an episode in that archive, you'll be able to listen to the link directly in your web browser. Which episode is it? Episode 26. <laughs> right. Mate, we made it. Did not even realise. This is the one year celebration episode. And 26 this is, episodes. And this is going to be the worst episode of the FOMO show. Well, this is probably going to be the episode the closest to episode one. <laughs> it's so true. Which was like a Frankenstein mm. of stitched together text. You were the, like. the, the, the crafty <laughs> surgeon on that. It was like, hello and welcome to the FOMO show. So true. Yeah. We've come a long way. What is the... what's the highlight from the last year as far as the FOMO show goes for you? I would have to say Privacy Coins. Yep. Doing that episode on Privacy Coins. Was that episode... Like nine? Nine? Yeah. Yeah. That Privacy Mm. Coins episode was for me... Mm. That totally changed my mind. Like that totally set in stone my priorities for cryptocurrencies as far as what I could understand. Yeah. Because at that point, I didn't fully understand smart contracts. Yep. And smart contracts are going to be great, but it's like... Privacy is going to be one of the, like, for me, it's one of the core things mm. that, yeah. What about yeah. you? What's your big moments been? Um, yeah, I should have thought about this before I asked you the question and while you were talking. <laughs> we had a big roundup of blockchain platforms a little while ago. What? Enterprise blockchain platforms? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed digging into all those ones, mm. even though, like, I'm so much more bullish on public networks, personally. Yeah. Like, I know that the private networks are going to have their place and people are going to mm. use them, but... I, I still truly believe that like public networks are where the most utility is going to be because that's where the most people are going mm, to be. Mm. Um, but yeah, just like digging in all those different private implementations, which I'd never really paid any attention to before that. 
Um, that was great. I think just the evolution of Jordan and Dan as well has been. Yeah, they've like come on really they've, fun to watch. They've they've been on a roller coaster journey. This yeah, um, yeah. Like Dan's last segment, I almost wanted to throw money at my screen. I, was, <laughs> I knew it was a scam, but it, it was just so wonderful. <laughs> yeah, and then oh yeah, look, just just building the community. Like I feel like we got a great uh, little Telegram group plugging along now and meeting people in real life who, who yeah, are listeners. Yeah, is really that's cool. been insane. Yeah. That's been insane. Yeah. Everyone, like, it has been a pleasure meeting you in real life mm. and uh, it's wonderful to be um, touching your ears. What have you been up to this last couple of weeks? So we've, uh, we've just moved house. Wow. So, uh, and, and Joe was actually helping us move uh, oh. on the weekend. Uh, we it was chose, a rainy. Yeah. It was a rainy Sunday. Yeah, we chose like the the one day in the last like two months where it's actually rained to, uh, <laughs> to move so all true. our stuff. <laughs> oh man! Um, so it's been a big job. We've just been yeah. Like last week we were packing. Uh, now we're moved in, but we're you know surrounded by a fortress of boxes at the moment. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, we've we've moved to a nicer place, and so the, mm. the studio's relocated. So for our twenty sixth episode, which is you know the, the the celebrating one year of the FOMO show, we've got we've, a new uh, studio. We've got a new studio this is as great. well. I yeah. love what you've done to the place. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks. I know it looks pretty different, but uh. <laughs> yeah. So I've been doing that. Uh, we had the latest blockchain for business meetup here yep. in Brisbane as How well. How was that? I didn't. Yeah, make it. We, it was good. We were talking about uh, private and public blockchains oh, and the difference awesome. between them. Uh, Lockie from Labrus presented. Wow. So I did the public side. He did the private side and they shared some of their experience working with enterprise clients and I also presented for the Project Managers Institute of wow. Queensland uh, last week which was great we had a big turnout a lot of new people too the, wow. the, at the start of the meetup they said put your hand up if you knew and it was probably about 30 or 40% who'd never been to an event before Sheesh. and just chatting to them they said oh we just wanted to hear more about blockchain and we wanted to learn more about blockchain so wow. uh, there's still definitely a lot of interest in the space and, and yeah really really great event they put on an incredible event, uh, PMI Queensland. They're, they're, they're very, very professional. Uh, so shout out to them. Uh, thank you very much for having me. It was it was a really good time. And we also had the Cardano meetup on Thursday. Right. Yeah. Gareth Hayes, who works for Emergo in Hong Kong. Right. There's all sorts of stuff going on behind the scenes with them to really flesh out Cardano's wider ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And they're working pretty hand in hand with IOHK, which are the main right, company building right, Cardano. Right. Okay. Um, so yeah, he he came to do a question and answer, which went for a long time. Wow. So it was really cool. Like it's, it's still a, a pretty modest meetup. And the couple of people that were there in the early days of Ethereum are saying it feels a lot like Ethereum in the early days, mm. because it's, it's obviously, it's a very revolutionary project. Um, but it's just kind of like the people that are really passionate about it at the moment that are there. But yeah, shout out to Gareth. It was really good having him there. Um, and he brought a lot of, uh, a lot of great expertise and just answered a lot of our questions. So It's great when you ask someone who's like technical or who knows something inside out, just questions, because just seeing them think and seeing yep. them just like come up with answers or tell you what they know or don't know. Yeah. There's nothing quite like that knowledge transfer. Yeah, and he was great because he was no BS. You know, like if he didn't know something, he'd just be like, I don't know. And he'd just, just say, I don't know, but this is what, I, this is what I'm hearing. Yeah. But then when you, you know, he, he really went in depth because he's a technical lead for Emergo. So he's 
he's been involved in the Bitcoin space since 2009. So oh. since since it began, so he's Sheesh. one of the few developers that have been here since pretty much the word dot. And he joined. He said he joined Cardano just because he saw the potential in the project, and he loved what they were doing. So real wealth of knowledge. Just really interesting to even pick someone's brains that's been in the space that long, you know? Jeez. So, yeah, that's what I've been up to, mate. What have you been up to? You've started a new job? Mate, I've started a new job. I've had five hours sleep in the last <laughs> three weeks. No. Yeah, Joe is looking <laughs> very tired at the moment. It's a bit of a struggle, but it's all self-inflicted. But, oh, mate, new workplace, it's great. Diving headfirst in and mm. um, there's a lot to do. So, yeah, pretty pretty busy. So what have you done for your first week then? Like what, what did the first week look like? I get into the office and they're like, look, we're getting you to do the marketing, so you crack on with that, and we'll help you if you need any help. So they they sort of pat you on the back and like crack on. I'm Off like, you go. And I was like a rescue dog that's just been <laughs> let out of the cage, and it's like I can walk on this grass. I can do this. It was it, it was really interesting to see. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I've just been working on marketing strategy, on new website, on trying to organise a conference for later in the year. Yeah never organized a conference before so yeah it's it's all happening at once and um i should go to bed earlier but who needs sleep really <laughs> energy drinks <laughs> oh, great so what are we chatting about this episode as you've probably heard we've both had very busy fortnights um so we haven't been able to get together the uh the usual FOMO experience. Yeah, we haven't been able to get the, the, the volume of yeah. material we normally get together, but we are still going to talk about some interesting things. Mm, so mm. we're going to discuss Cloakcoin, which is a yes. uh, very privacy-focused coin. I uh, got had the privilege of meeting uh, Josh Marriage at wow. the Block Conscious Summit, who's the Australian lead uh, for Cloakcoin. Wow. And uh, they're a great project, so we're just going to, get, we're going to highlight that as kind of a privacy and security slash uh, main project of the week project of the episode kind of feature which should be really good oh that isn't the main feature yeah you're right the main feature you're chatting about life on linux that's going to be exciting yeah so we'll get a little update on what it's been like what the transitions what things you missed about windows which is a very (laughs) short list and um (laughs) yeah and then we'll start it off with a bit of news uh, if you want to be part of a show, you can record a voice message in Telegram and send it to us either via private message or on the public channel, or you can email it to us at fomoshow at protonmail.com. Mate, is this investment advice? This is not investment advice, Joe. This is not financial, investment, legal, or any other type of advice. We're not saying you should buy anything on this show. We're not recommending you buy anything on this show. Mm-hmm. Full disclosure, we're both personally invested in different cryptocurrencies. Uh, we're both enthusiastic about different uh, projects, mm. some of which we talk about this on this show. But if we talk about a project, it doesn't mean you should buy it or invest in it or s- take out a mortgage and invest your life savings in mm, it. Yeah. There are better things to do with your money. Mm. Um, so do your research. Never invest more than you can afford to lose. And most of all, avoid the fear of missing out. If you're new around here and new to crypto, you can check out our Blockchain Basics series. It starts from episode two and continues until around about episode eight. Yeah, it will give you some grounding in the fundamentals uh, and it will help you understand what on earth we're talking about. What on earth are we talking about? Mate, your guess is as good as mine. So what's this about um, ComBank having a bond on the blockchain? Yeah, so the Commonwealth Bank announced just recently uh, that they'd partnered with the World Bank 
to put a bond on the blockchain. And their reasoning behind this was essentially that traceability for a lot of these bonds is actually quite hard because a lot of these systems that these bonds are issued on are real legacy systems. I read this great ex- explanation of what a bond is. Yep. A bond is you buying a magic wallet. And what this magic wallet does is it puts a new piece of money in there. So you pay 50 bucks for a wallet that puts three bucks into your account, every into your wallet every year. Yep. So three bucks extra just appear in that wallet. So it's you buy and sell the bond. Mm. And some people sell the bond for like less than 50 bucks. Anyway, mm. let's just cut back to it because I'm going to delete that. No, but that's good. Like, so bonds traditionally, if you've got, if you hold the bond mm. at the end of that period, you can go to whatever institution it is and cash it in. So there used to be a big problem back in the day with people essentially stealing bonds because the bond would essentially say whoever holds the bond and presents it at mm. the time gets the money back. Um, so there'd be issues with being able to trace who actually owned the bond. If the bond had been stolen, there'd be no real way for anyone to to cancel the bond or the bond would be stolen because you're essentially holding a cash asset mm-hmm. and uh, and transferring the bond between people in some systems would be really hard as well. So ComBank and the World Bank said, well, why don't we put this system on an immutable blockchain? Mm-hmm. Because if we've got it on an immutable blockchain and we can tie it to someone's identity, then first of all, it means that you've got a uh, an immutable record that that bond has been sold to that person. Mm-hmm. But also eventually if they want to be able to trade that bond, it essentially acts like a token and you just trade that token to someone else within the network and whoever mm-hmm. holds the private keys um, or whoever has that bond attributed to themselves can cash the bond in at the end. Wow. That's their premise. So it's, mm. a pri- it's a private network. Yeah. Um, I, I think it, it's jointly hosted by ComBank and the uh, the World Bank. Uh-huh. But the, the whole idea is to essentially have an immutable record for all of these bonds. And they've done their first bond issue now on, on this, this private blockchain, which they've spun up. So wow. I think it's great to see that people are using blockchain for this kind of stuff. Mm. I'm not real sold on their implementation of it or right. the approach they're taking with it. But- Look, at least, at least it. If if nothing else, it shows that businesses are looking at this and uh, banks are looking at this to to find ways that they can use the technology. Mm, mm. Yeah, good yeah. news. Here's a little random fact for you. This is coming off some post on Reddit, so take it with a pinch of salt. It said, if you bought a million US dollars worth of Venezuela's currency, the Bolivar, in 2013. It would now be worth three dollars and forty cents. That's not, not a joke. Not, not three dollars and forty. Not, not three thousand. No, one million would now be worth three dollars forty. So what is that in in so in mathematical terms? Calculator. Let me. <laughs> Top comment. So you're saying buy the dip. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding comment. What a dip. <laughs> so we go three dollars forty divided by one million. Now is the time to buy low. You invest in the team, you invest in the partners. This is a live currency. It even has central banking issues. Some there? of these comments are great. I read it comments comments great. Like they do you are, find yourself oh. all the time you'll see something interesting and the first thing you'll do, you'll read a little bit of the article, then you'll just go back to look at the comments. Oh I spent it's there's so much entertainment. <laughs> just they're the most brilliant people in the world, right? Yeah. Someone's like, imagine if you bought ten grand worth of BitConnect. <laughs> <laughs> 
so that's essentially 0.0000034, like in decimal places from the original amount. Zero Hedge have been calling it a socialist paradise for years now, (laughs) like just for the bands and... Oh, it's cruel but it, brilliant. It's funny when you see these. We can kind of sit here and joke about it, but, like, it's it's pretty bad, mm. like, what's going on in mm. Venezuela now, you know? And, like, these people are – and the, 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 the contrast to this is so many people are now trying to buy Bitcoin. That's, like – that's what they see as, like, a stable out now. Mm. Um, they, don't, they don't want to be associated with fiat money anymore. They're like, the system's broken. We need something new. It'd be really good to actually just find out, get some more like, see if we can find some audio clips to put in the podcast of life in Venezuela, because mm. I reckon all of us should be aware of what it's like when your currency or when your economy heads into freefall. I yeah. mean, it wasn't so long ago that happened to Argentina. Mm. It happened in Greece, pretty much like back yeah. back when they were executed by the EU. I mean. Oh, and they got money taken out of their accounts. In Greece, you know? It was insane. Like, and that's why we're doing what we're doing, isn't it? Like, that's why we're so passionate about these decentralized monetary systems. Because the only person in control of your money should be you. Yeah. And any of your dependents. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, and that's, that's what we love talking about. Yeah. Uh, um, let's go one more step down before we come back up. Okay. There was a link that Hayden shared in the Briz Vegas blockchain collaboration Telegram group. Really, really cool video. We're going to post a clip for you here. Some British guy, he runs his own software company. He came to Australia, went through customs. And this is what happened. So, uh, I uh, value my privacy, right? So my privacy is a really important thing. Um, you haven't got anything to hide, right? You should be fine. That's not really an argument, right? But uh, so I value my privacy. Now, I've just landed right at Sydney Airport right about two hours ago. Now, I'm walking around uh, Sydney at the moment, about to go and see the lawyer, right? Got a little suit of justice here as well. But here's the thing, right? I landed and I was about to go through. I only just like carried like the rucksack, just here as you can see. I carry my suit. I don't have anything else with me, right? No carry on, uh, no sort of like checked in luggage. So I was about to go through. Uh, the uh, the aisle where they're just like, yeah, shut up and get out of the airport, mate. When suddenly, old mate like puts his hand on my shoulder, he's like, yeah, I think you're coming with me, sir. I'm like, oh, God, here goes. Nice guy, all right, but then they always are, all right? I'm like, nah, yeah, single word answers. Don't give them anything more that you want. And here's the thing. Hey, have you got like, a laptop? I'm like, uh, yeah, I've got a MacBook. They're like, okay, uh, anything on there? I'm like, well, yeah, sure. Run a business, and they're like, okay, and you've got like a phone just there as well. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. Well, Huawei, and they're like, okay, so can you unlock it for us? I'm like, why? And they're like, well, we want to uh, basically see what files are on there. I'm like, well, you can do that in front of me, I've got no problems with that, but uh, and they're like, yeah, and this is the kicker. They basically went, there's new legislation that's come in right this week. I'm not sure you don't know about it because I certainly didn't, and now you are compelled, all right, to give your pin. Unlock your phone, unlock your laptop, uh, at risk of uh, basically being detained and possibly jailed for up to 90 days, right? <coughs> so I'm like, all right, well, there's nothing to hide, but um, will you be copying those files? Uh, can you give me a guarantee that you're not copying them? And they're like, no, we can't give a guarantee. <laughs> really? So, yeah, that happened. So they took the phone, they took the MacBook, 
Uh, they took it into a back room. I wasn't part of like what happened with that. Um, and they basically come out. It took 90 minutes, right, from start to finish. And they came back out and gave me the laptop and the phone. Here's the thing that happened, though, right? I'm not a conspiracy theorist in any way, shape, or form, right? But I know my phone was either rooted or software was installed on there. I know that because of this reason. When they came out, the phone locked, right? And they brought the phone out. Thanks, Huawei. When they brought the phone out to re-unlock, uh, what happened is I did that with face recognition, all right? And then I saw a screen. I've never seen it before, right? I've never installed a piece of software uh, that gives me that screen, right? Unequivocally and on record. And there was a floating, it was a dark blue background, and there was a black floating animated octopus, right? And I wasn't supposed to see that, obviously. So I'm like, what's this? And they're like, well, I, I, I don't know, mate. I'm like, are you sure? Because that's not a screen I've ever seen before. Anyway, I tapped the screen, the octopus animation closed, and it went straight back to my phone settings. It's Android. It went straight back to my phone settings uh, screen um, where the about phone is, right? So the BIOS and the checksums and all the rest of it. So they've obviously been like rooting my phone because there's no reason at all, right, to do what they did. None, right? So I just want you to know that basically the police state has arrived um, in Australia. That's happened. And that's not like, you know, hyperbole. This has actually happened. So now I don't go to the States because I don't like the security theatre over there, right? But what's going to happen is from this moment in time is I will take a blank laptop and a blank phone, and I suggest you do the same, right? And then you recover. Just put a few cursory apps on there. Right, just to make it look like it's fair income. And uh, yeah, and then basically recover your data and your apps at the other end in the country you're going to. Because legislation has just been changed this week that now also, you ready for this, if you use a VPN, this has happened this week. If you use a VPN, now the ISP can be compelled, right, legally and without a subpoena, get that, to basically go, yeah, just give us all the encryption keys and give us the data stream. That's what the guy just told me. Mate, I've got to admit, when I first watched that, I sat, I was sitting down, I think I was eating my breakfast or something, and I was just getting angrier and angrier the more of that video I watched. And you'll have to go watch the full video. We'll put the link in the show notes. Mm. Um, you can find them on your podcast app or on our website. Really worth going and watching the whole clip because it shows, you know, someone's experience coming up against these kind of laws and being completely unprepared for them. Mm. And having privacy completely breached, because that's what it was. I mean, he they they literally took his laptop, took his phone, said, "Sorry, there's nothing you can do about this. We're going to steal your property from you. We're going to copy everything." Apparently, they even sounded apologetic when they were doing it. They're like, mm. "Yeah, look, sorry, but this is a law. You know, we can do this." Mm. And they wouldn't even let him watch as they did it. That was the worst part, you know. And the thing that really gets me about this is that you know they they didn't ask him what he did for his his job. They didn't ask him who he was. I don't think. Well, they may have, but they didn't really seem to care. But if you're someone that's dealing with, you know, if you're a lawyer or you're a doctor or anything like that, the amount of data you would have on your phone or mm. your um, your laptop, which is privileged data, private data of other individuals that they'd be copying would be mm. immense. And and there's this really dangerous assumption here that some people say, well, they're like, well, it's just his data, but it's it's not. It's all the people that have 
that have sent things to him, mm. you know, mm. all the people's files that he's taken on in confidence. And it's not just his privacy that's being breached. It's the it's it's the hundreds of other people that have sent things to him that have, you know, he's holding documents for. And so it's not just that this could happen to other people. It's that if this happens to other people, it could also happen to you. They suggested using VeraCrypt, which is a great way of encrypting your computer. There's a bunch of useful features in there mm. worth checking out. But my key takeaway from this is, so you see governments, they classify information, not for national security reasons. They always say it's national security. They classify documents because they would be embarrassed if the public found out. So suddenly, how long is the classification period here? 30 years, it's classified. Most of the stuff that's declassified, it's not actually that important. It's not that national security. It's just it would have been embarrassing if it had been released at the time. Mm. But you know what? I've decided to classify all of my information. Um, more encryption. If you have stuff, screw your government. Encrypt it. Yeah. Make it as hard as to access as possible. Because if you make it impossible for your government to get it, then hopefully that will prevent an unwanted attacker getting at it yeah and look i'd probably even go a step further you want to seriously consider either buying like a, a throwaway phone mm -hmm. and a you know a cheap laptop just buy like some cheap hardware to take overseas with you that has nothing on it mm -hmm. and you wipe it before you go yeah wipe it before you get on any plane mm -hmm. um and you know and you're not worried too much about losing anything mm -hmm. you can back stuff up mm -hmm. to whatever you, you know you can set it back up whenever you get there or the other option is Use your devices, but wipe them before you go. Like back them up to to cloud storage. Wipe your devices when you go through. Just install a couple of token things on there, and be like, "Oh, this is all I really have." Um, here you go. Most phones now have like an automatic backup feature where once you put in your account and you hit automatic, you know, restore, it'll just restore everything mm -hmm. like it was mm -hmm. before you left. And uh, same thing with your laptops. Look into a a cloud storage solution that that works for you. Um, there was one I was looking at recently called Sync, hmm. Sync.com. They're an end-to-end -end encrypted cloud storage. Right. Really cheap to get like a terabyte of cloud storage. Wow. Really, really cheap. Um, so even just look at something like that for your laptop and then you can just get – that way you can wipe it. Uh, you don't have to worry about anything being given over because there's nothing on it and then you just spend an hour or so restoring it when you get to wherever mm. you need to be. Mm. So – that's probably where I'm at. Because those are data breaches. They are, they like, are, they are reportable data breaches. Yeah, that's the thing is there's law in Australia, mandatory data breach if it's accessed by an unauthorised third party. Yeah. And I don't care who you are, you are not... Ah, yeah. I don't care who you are, you are not getting my data. I've yeah. got nothing... Sure, I've got nothing to hide. I'm still hiding it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't well, want you seeing it. It's the same it. reason we have curtains on our houses. Yeah, and locks yeah. on your bathroom that's door. That's right. So next bit of news, you found something really interesting, Joe, that Mercedes-Benz are doing with their cars. So yeah, basically, uh, Mercedes-Benz are introducing digital light LED headlights. And what they do is they're projectors and you can display messages on the road, which is pretty cool. So it could also project navigation guides and road traffic conditions or traffic warning symbols. The photos look really cool. Mm. You see an example of a Merc, which has got a... Um, you know that icon of workmen digging yep. a pile of dirt or of tar? Or I don't know what it is. Yeah. They've got that projected on the road in bright light. It looks really insane. It does look really cool. I mean, but you can see how this would instantly, like, ima imagine 
five re- people on Reddit got these cars, you know? Oh, <laughs> it would go so badly. That's but really it looks cool. cool. Yeah, it looks really cool. I hear there's been a review of this WireGuard VPN. What's that all about? Yeah, so we recently, or actually probably isn't that recently, a fair while ago we covered VPNs and we talked about how everyone should really have a VPN for no matter what they're doing because it's one of the easiest ways to make yourself more secure online because hmm. you're essentially routing all your data through another server somewhere. So if someone uh, like unsophisticated attackers want to try and you know hack into your computer, it makes it a lot harder for them because your traffic's going through another server. Before it goes out to the internet, mm. and anything that comes back to you goes to another server before it comes to you. So we're massive proponents of VPNs, mm. and you can get there's good VPNs out there for around about like five dollars. I think it's they're pretty cheap. Wow. Anyway, there's there's an article recently from Ars Technica, and it, they're talking about WireGuard VPN, which is essentially a new standard in VPNs. It's, it's completely open source, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a new way of implementing VPNs on people's systems. Wow. Now, I won't go into things too much, but I was reading through this, and I was getting more and more excited as I read, because it sounds like this new standard, which is being developed in the open, open source, is going to be significantly better than any other and more secure than any other type of VPN standard we currently have. And just to give you a little bit of an idea what we're talking about, I'll get, just read a couple of quotes from this article. So, WireGuard weighs in at around 4,000 lines of code. This compares to 600,000 total lines of code for OpenVPN or 400,000 total lines of code for XRFM plus StrongSwan, which they're kind of like the two major uh, open source VPN standards right. that people use. And uh, so it says two orders of magnitude, fewer lines of code means a lot less attack surface to find flaws in. So again, already that's that's 4,000 lines of code versus 600,000 or 400,000 lines of code, wow. which is huge. That's that's a big step. Oh, and this was Linux's lead developer, Linus Torvalds, who was saying that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, so he's been recommending WireGuard and this was how this whole thing started. So the author of this piece saw Torvalds, who's yeah, the lead developer of Linux, recommend WireGuard and so he jumped in and read up more on it and then this whole article was essentially him being like this thing's amazing like everyone needs to look into it you can always tell when someone writes when they're excited yeah and it's a really well written article too like it's a really worth a read because he he just explains VPNs basically from the start all the way through he kind of steps you through how VPNs work right. all the way through, which Good. is really, really handy because right. it's so complicated. He goes on to say that WireGuard deliberately ignores the industry standard algorithms um, that have a bunch of long-standing weaknesses. And what they're doing is uh, using only the latest, toughest primitives. Yeah, yeah so they've got, uh, there's these algorithms called ChaCha20, Curve25519, HKDF, all these different algorithms. They're all new encryption algorithms that that have been cryptographically investigated and proven to be to be better than a lot of the current algorithms, but no one's really implemented them yet because all these old technologies they're that big. Like when you're looking at four hundred or six hundred thousand lines of code to try and implement new algorithms is incredibly hard. Wow. Um, so. Yeah, like this new project has kind of said, well, let's rewrite the playbook and Mm -hmm. let's use a lot of these new things. And the one thing that stood out for me is he did like a speed test. And there's a a picture in the article and it has an open VPN connection from his computer um, to a virtual machine somewhere. And he says it took him more than eight seconds to connect 
uh, and then to, for the connection to come back to him. So essentially wow. an eight-second round trip. And then he connected via two uh, – he connected via WireGuard to the same server and it took barely over 100 milliseconds. So Sheesh. 100 milliseconds versus eight seconds. Wow. Uh, and for anyone that uses a VPN, you'll know that – one of the biggest issues with a VPN is latency. So mm. it always takes a long time. It seems to take quite a lot longer than it, it a no, even a normal connection normally would, mm. at least two or three times more. But if what he's saying here is true, this VPN standard means that it's uh, significantly quicker as wow. well. So it's open source, less code, which means sounds more effective. Less code is always beautiful. New encryption, simpler connecting. As faster. Yep. That's really cool. Yeah, it's really good. So all we got to wait for now is for VPNs to start using it and implementing mm. it. And generally what they'll do is they'll open up like an option for you to start using it. And uh, once they do, I'm going to be jumping straight on board. Yeah, that I, sounds I think awesome. it looks really good. So. Sheesh. This scrappy self-driving upstart is about to beat the biggest companies in the world to autonomous grocery delivery. This startup was founded by a Princeton professor who's known as Professor X. And they basically built a self-driving car using $50 cameras and a whole lot of brains. Mm. Yeah, so unlike most deep-pocketed self-driving companies, the article says, which use laser arrays and a bevy of sophisticated sensors in their autonomous platforms, Auto X, which is what the company is called, uses inexpensive cameras and relies on its AI to navigate the world around it. Mm. So it's kind of cool, just like a, a nice little piece. Yeah, there, and there's it? there's a really cool little video that they've got up on their site, um, and they they kind of they show some of these what these vehicles would look like. The whole idea of autonomous grocery delivery is incredibly intriguing because mm. you, you notice a lot of these supermarkets are starting to do it now with human drivers. But down the track, I can almost guarantee you they'll be looking at something like this to switch over to. Because you think about it, like supermarkets, the amount of space. Like warehousing space, um, actual store space, mm-hmm. like they have to take up the, the amount of lease that would probably cost them, the infrastructure they have to build to have these massive supermarkets. Mm-hmm. If they could do away with a lot of that and just deliver groceries to people and become a lot more like Amazon, mm-hmm. um, they'd save so much money. Wow. And you'd save so much time. Yeah. So next bit of news, an artificial intelligence system, which has been developed uh, in by some medical scientists, has been able to successfully detect cancer tumors that are often missed. Wow. So this was a piece out of the Digital Journal, and uh, it said medical scientists and engineers have come together to develop artificial intelligence systems designed to detect often missed cancer tumors, thereby helping to boost patient survival rates. And it's really interesting uh, reading about it. It's out of the University of Central Florida and, and they've developed a system where they can begin teaching computers using machine learning technology what these tumors look like and for, for different ways to mm. detect them and uh, and then have them analyze these the, the data. And generally what they're doing at the moment is they're having them, the machines go over data that doctors have already looked at. There's even some stuff in there about the machines being able to identify things by smell. So apparently wow. some of these tumors have a certain smell. And oh, okay. because the smells are so minute, it's very hard for the human nose to pick it up. But yeah. some of these sensors 
on these uh, these computers that they're building are actually able to detect some of these chemicals that you know that are given off and causing this smell, Sheesh. and uh, and you know at least recommend that the the issues get checked wow. out. So it said uh, in trials, the healthcare artificial intelligence system found was found to be ninety five percent accurate in total, and this was ahead of the typical scores achieved by human medics, which typically fall within the range of sixty five percent. Sheesh. We're going to have way too many healthy humans on this planet at some point. Like retirement homes are going to be huge. Yeah. Because you retire at 60 and you live to 150. Yeah. <laughs> so invest now. Yeah, hodl. Yeah. Hodl your retirement home ICOs. Just wait for Dan to try and flog them. Yeah. <laughs> retirement home ICOs. <laughs> it's a brave new frontier, Joe. I heard the Queen sends you a letter when you're 100. Well, she's going to have to learn how to send you letters, Joe, because you're going to make it to 150. You take my word for that. <laughs> this last week, uh, in, in a, a random community post on their website, Steam, which is like a library for all your games. It's been going for about oh, well over 10 years now. It's, mm-hmm. it's probably the biggest It's the biggest one in the world and you can launch all your games from it and it makes managing all your games really easy. Mm-hmm. They announced that they've got a new version of what they call Steam Play. And Steam Play, it started a few years ago and it was designed to let Linux gamers play essentially Windows games on their Linux system. Right. But up until now, there haven't been that many games supported. Like there are a lot of indie games supported, but not mm-hmm. many big title support and they announced last week that they've upgraded it to make it so that nearly any game will be playable through steam system on linux so uh, they say that you're able to launch nearly anything through their system and a lot of people have been having a lot of success with that wow but the big news is the big deal about this is it's huge for open source because what stops so many people from swapping from windows to a more open more secure platform is gaming because mm, so many mm, people game mm, mm. and it's a, it's a big deal because if you can't play any of these games which you've spent money on mm. on your computer then you generally just might as well stay on windows so there's a bunch of features that this uh, new new update brings to the table yeah so windows games that don't currently have a linux version available can now be installed and run directly from the linux steam client so complete with um, open VR support and, and native Steamworks. There's also um, DirectX 11 and DirectX 12 implementations that, that are, are there. Um, They've also got improved uh, game control support and imp- improved support for full screen. And uh, the, uh, the, the, the big thing that they've done, apart from just letting us actually play these games, is that they've improved performance markedly. And I've been reading some people commenting on some of the the threads about this and they've been saying that their performance in some games is 30 to 40% better on Linux than it is in Windows. That's never happened before. Yeah, which which is crazy, but it makes sense because Windows hogs so much more of your system resources. It takes so much more of your, like there's so much more bloat in Mm. Windows than in a lot of these uh, open source platforms. So... Yeah, it sounds like it's been a real success and Steam are really making a big push for open source, which is huge because we love open source. Yeah. So the link for that's in the show notes too. It's a big post, but if that was the thing holding you back from swapping or you wanted to at least give something else a go and you were worried about taking your games with you, then it's definitely worth a look. 
wherever you're joining us from, pleasure having you here. Why not drop into our Telegram channel and say hello? Yeah, welcome to John G, Nick and Brad to our Telegram. And also shout out to Kai for the great links and uh, Hodlon as well. It's been a quiet couple of weeks from our end, but um, Nick joined in and he actually pasted a really interesting link to a report about blockchain and education. You can find the link in our Telegram um, and it will Put it in the show notes as well. Yeah. Basically, a really interesting piece that covers the ways that blockchain might actually be useful for uh, education. So verifying graduation certificates, control of data, using crypto for grant money in- issuance. But if you're interested in blockchain for uh, education, definitely worth a read. Yeah. Mm. On to the main feature, though. Life on Linux. <laughs> so you just red-pilled yeah. and just went straight to Linux uh, yeah. a few months back. And now Windows is like a distant <laughs> memory for you. Yeah. So we're going to talk about life on Linux, what you found, what you've enjoyed, what you haven't enjoyed, how fast things are moving. Yeah. Yeah, just tell us a bit about it. So I moved to Linux. My name's Matt and I moved to Linux about nine months ago. Um <laughs> And uh, and my initial motivation was really very privacy and security motivated. So mm-hmm. I went on this – red pill is the right word because I went on this huge privacy and security kick. I think one of the first emails I sent on the FOMO Show account actually didn't even have my real name on it because mm-hmm. at the time I was debating whether I should like adopt a, an online pseudonym mm-hmm. um, or just you know, keep my real name. Uh, but then, of course, as part of my profile, it says I'm a lawyer, and if people look me up, they need to be able to see that I've, I am who I say I am. So uh, that didn't last mm. too long. But that was kind of the world I was living in for a while. Mm. Like generally, if I get into something, I really get into it. Yeah. And uh, so I went on this whole privacy and security kick. And one of the biggest things I noted that everyone was saying was that one of the easiest ways to make yourself a lot more secure and a lot less of a target is just to swap to Linux. So what is Linux? Yeah, so Linux has been around for about... 27 years. I think Linux just turned 27 or 28. Wow. Um, so it's been around for a long time now. Uh, it, it came out a little bit after Windows. The whole idea of Linux was to be like an open platform yeah. where anyone could really develop for. All the libraries would be developed in the open and people could essentially take those libraries and build their own operating system with it. So Linux is it's a free operating system yep. that revolves around people contributing code for free and you just getting updates for free. Yeah. It sounded really weird to me at first and it might sound really weird to you as well when you first hear about this whole idea of open source and anyone can contribute. Well, if anyone can contribute, wouldn't it be horrible? Mm. Um, But it's actually the opposite. In the software world, the more eyes you have on something, the better because everyone can look at the code, everyone can work at what's good and what's not. Mm. And, And also generally the people that have the kind of time to contribute to this stuff and the expertise are generally like really good programmers who are making plenty of money and have the either the passion or the spare time to be able to sit down and and build this stuff. Mm. And uh, and and it's the other thing to say is too the Linux operating system has become used by a lot more enterprises and bigger businesses and and for example all of the Android phones run on Linux. Most of the servers run on Linux in the world. So it's become the backbone for a lot of our infrastructure behind the scenes Mm. and people will generally pay for that. So people will get a Linux professional to to come and help them maintain their servers or Mm. they might 
ask one of the big Linux, we call them distributions. They're kind of like customized operating systems, mm-hmm. kind of like different versions of Windows, I guess. If you could picture Windows being able to be like taken by someone, copied and changed in different mm-hmm. ways, mm-hmm. that's kind of what they're like. And uh, and so they'll ask them, hey, can you come roll this out at my business? I've got 10,000 servers. Mm. And uh, and so that's generally how they make their money. So there is money in it too. Mm. But that's what Linux is. And, uh, and the reason I got into it was initially for privacy and security. But the more time I spent in the blockchain space as well, the more I began to realize that it, it was better to be on an open source operating system, uh, which is generally more secure, has more eyes on it, uh, has a lot less bloat, has a lot less ways for things to go wrong. So mm-hmm. it's, it's quite hard in Linux for you to install something and for it to kind of take over your system. Mm. Whereas on Windows, you know, if you just download something you don't want to download and you double click on an exe or something like that, it can just add spyware to your computer and you mm. won't even know. You know, it's mm. a lot harder for the people to do that in Linux. So from the sounds of it, it's much more sort of compartmentalized security-wise the yeah. way they've designed it. Yeah. Uh, how did you find shifting over to Linux? Yeah, look, I thought it was going to be really hard. I dealt with Linux about seven or eight years ago when I I stepped on my laptop and I, bro- I broke the screen, but I still could see most of the screen. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't really good for much. Like, and it was a slow laptop anyway. And so I'd heard about this Linux thing and I was like, oh, I'm going to go try it out. Like, I'll, you know, I'll try out Linux and see how I go. And so I installed it on this laptop and it was like a big learning curve. Like, mm. I found it quite difficult mm. because I was... I'd grown up on Windows. Windows was all I knew. Yeah, I was a like I just had no familiarity. It's very intimidating. Yeah. yeah, it really, it really was. And like, and you know, they're telling you to use this thing called the terminal and type in these commands. Mm. And I ended up giving up. I just went back to Windows because it was comfortable, it was safe, it was what I knew. Mm. So fast forward to like last year when I swapped over to Linux again, and I was yeah really nervous because I was like, this is going to be, this is going to be pretty tough. Um, but it wasn't as bad as what it was. When I swapped over the last time, hmm. it was it, it felt a lot more like a like a fully fledged operating system. Um, you could do most things graphically. You didn't really need the terminal terminal, which is kind of mm-hmm. like a command line. You didn't really need that much if you didn't want to. You could get by with doing things visually, mm. and then anything that you couldn't get by with, I'm, I found that you could generally just Google mm. um, or search for, and uh, and someone would be have an answer somewhere and would tell you what to do. So it was a lot less difficult. And I started with Ubuntu 16.04 and Ubuntu is kind of like the biggest Linux distribution. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of like the, the most mainstream one, I guess. And then they upgraded to 18, 18.04, which is mm-hmm. kind of like the newest version uh, recently. And I jumped on that and... I got to admit, it, it it's been great. Like I feel like it's 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 similar to Windows in a lot of the convenience, mm-hmm. but it's so much more powerful. Like you've seen my setup that I've got here now. It's it's mm. so much more customizable. They've got this. They run on this thing called GNOME, and which has like a web interface, and you can just install all these little tools and apps mm. just from the web interface and it integrates with everything really easy and you can create like a really customizable mm. experience. That's one of the benefits that I've seen in Linux is you can absolutely bend the operating system to the way that you want your computer to be. Yep. Now, a lot of people are just like, oh, I just want to start menu 
and, you know, a couple icons on my desktop. Well, you can do that. Yeah. Other people are like, oh, well, I want to, you know, see my Twitter feed, get a notification whenever my doorbell rings, and I want to be able to control my Philips Hue smart lights from my, you know, just an icon in yeah. my start menu. Yeah. Now, that's much harder to do on Windows. Yeah. And you'd be amazed at the amount of stuff that people have built, like just on their own time, completely mm. for free. I, like, I... Uh, found that uh, and, and look generally the best thing you can do is you go to like what are some things I should do when I install Linux just like search for that in DuckDuckGo or something and you find these great pages where people have put up all these like you know helpful apps that you can install and wow. one of the ones I found was one for my phone yeah. and I found that it, with with a couple of clicks of a button I could sync my phone up my Android phone with my desktop hmm. and have it show me all my notifications hmm. as they came in on my phone and when someone called me it would like mute my music and tell me someone was calling and I could answer the call on my computer wow. and that would like answer it on my phone and put it on speaker and wow. like just just cool little things like that which is pretty simple but there's a lot of that going on and it's 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 just it's an exciting direction it's really cool like you'll find I found I spent a lot of time just tinkering with things and like learning new things and um and uh and yeah, I also noticed a lot less system usage as well. Like mm-hmm. Linux just seems so much more yeah. efficient. Yeah. Um I think like generally on Windows my RAM sits around, you know, maybe forty to fifty percent when I've got because I, I have a lot of things going, mm-hmm. um, as you know. <laughs> um whereas on uh on Linux it sits around, you know, twenty five percent with the mm. same amount of things going. What I've always noticed is that if you have a computer that's, you know, maybe four years old or more and you're thinking about chucking it out and you're like, oh, should I ditch it? Should I, you know, because it's slow if you're running Windows, just install a Linux distribution, whether it's Ubuntu, whether it's Arch Labs, which I got into more recently, you will, that computer will cut through Linux like a knife through butter. It will be so fast and it will be so fresh so if you've got a spare laptop kicking around and you've got an afternoon free, get a USB stick, which is eight gig or more. Yep. Stick stick your Ubuntu on there, set it up to install, and have a good afternoon. Yeah, and just have a play around. Like you can Google guides um, to you know say what should I do when I start on Linux, and they'll they'll walk you through it, and you'll learn so much more about how computers work as well. Mm. That's what I really like about learning Linux is you can you can kind of take it in chunks now when you're using something like Ubuntu because you don't have to use all the advanced stuff anymore. You can just keep it pretty graphical but if you want to start learning some of the advanced stuff it's really easy to because there's so many helpful guides out there now um so yeah like i'm what about nine ten months in and i'm really enjoying it and like you said i i haven't booted back into windows since the last time we played battlefield because that's that's the only time I go back to Windows now like I was worried because I use a lot of uh, Office like I I use Word and PowerPoint and I'm really used to that um, so I'm not completely off Microsoft yet but Another thing that's great about Linux is that it's really good about really good with running virtual machines. Mm-hmm. So I've got a uh, a virtual machine installed for my Windows machine um, for with a Windows installation. Sorry. Uh, on my Linux machine. So it means you're running like you're opening up Windows in a tiny 
window in well, yeah. in a window in Ubuntu. Yeah, so you essentially just you ins- you you go into this thing called VirtualBox. You say I want to install Windows, and it says okay, where do you want to install it? And then you install it, and you just hit start, and it just pops up. Right. And you're logging into Windows without being on Windows. Without being on Windows, so it's wow. it's running. So it's in like a container, and right. what that means is it also like cordons it off from the mm-hmm. rest of your system, so oh. it's a lot less vulnerable. Like, so if someone sends you an email with a dodgy attachment, you yeah, can open that up in a virtual machine, and it won't impact your regular computer. Yeah, like ninety nine percent, you're safe. Like there's there's a few nasty little ones that can jump back, but. Um, but you pr- generally you're pretty safe. But yeah, the sky like I've just found the sky's really the limit, you know. And every, every week I seem to customize my system a bit more or find some new cool thing that I can do on Linux that mm. I wouldn't be able to do on Windows. Um, and that Steam gaming thing that we talked about earlier is just like a cherry on top. I, I like sent it to there's, there's a group of us who all play games together, and I like sent it to the group, <laughs> and um, and I was like. This is it. Like, <laughs> I never have to go back. <laughs> oh, mate, it's um, fantastic. So, yeah, like, there's, look, there's a couple of things you can't do. Like, you can't game. Um, Photoshop. Much. They can't use Photoshop. There's although, an you alternative. can use Photoshop in, in a VM. Oh, yeah. So, I'm finding it, most things work pretty well in a virtual machine. Mm-hmm. Um, although, if you're doing some real intense graphical stuff, it might be more difficult. But, yeah, there are, there's generally alternatives. Yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, they might not be as good. But I mean, you found one that runs in a web browser, though. That's yeah. That's so I was good. A, there was an alternative to Photoshop because Photoshop's part of my daily routine. Yeah. Um, I was using. I found one on uh, Ubuntu called uh, on Linux called GIMP. Yeah. Um, the problem is you're used to all your shortcuts from your thing. So I actually found some plugins, which is a great thing about Linux. I just found an extension that actually reskinned. GIMP to look like Photoshop and then it also ported the shortcuts over as well because if you're a power shortcut user like I am you will use that shortcut by default so yeah there's just Linux have just made it work but yeah there was a Photoshop in the browser that was really cool someone's recoded Photoshop to just work in a web page isn't open source amazing man like that's I, I hadn't even heard that about GIMP but you find that more and more, like you just discover all these cool things that people have just done. I don't yeah. know if they've got the time to do, but they've just done it. And it's just, it's great, man. Hats like off to them. Yeah, yeah. So so do you use Linux a fair bit yourself or? Um, I have a laptop that runs Linux and I, I, I use it more for just learning code, emails. I actually got recently put on by our, our Soviet friend. Um <laughs> Shout out to you, Nikolai. Um, he actually put me on to um, using Arch Labs, mm. um, which is a, a really, really lightweight Linux distribution. It's absolutely tiny. It's bare bones. Mm. But I switch on my laptop and I'm in in 20, like less than 20 seconds and it's all booted up. I'm in and I'm ready to go. Yep. And it's so fast. It's really like, snappy. You press the start button and it's already appeared before you press the start button. Yeah. It's just nuts. So, yeah, that's why I'm using it. It's a massively cut back one, yep. but it's ultra simple and in the same way, it's ultra powerful because of that. Yeah. It yep. gives me everything I need. And, yeah, I, the only problem is I set the admin password to be the same admin password as I had on my previous laptop uh, before I reinstalled it and then um, clearly entered the password wrong. <laughs> so now I need to reinstall. Oh, great. 
<laughs> one, of the, one of the cool things about Linux too, which is definitely I forgot to mention, is with two commands, when you first start your system up, you can update everything. You can go on. So you literally you log in and I, the first thing I do when I log in is I turn my VPN on. So that's the first thing that happens. It always happens. VPN starts up. Check. Once that's done, I type in uh, the command that says sudo apt update. Mm-hmm. I hit enter and it pulls in, it checks all these what they call repositories. Mm-hmm. And repositories are essentially where all the different software that you have on your system is hosted and it'll check through all of them to see if anyone's updated anything because mm-hmm. it's open source people are updating things all the time once it's done that then you just put in another command which is sudo apt upgrade hit enter and it just upgrades everything for mm-hmm. you it'll, it'll tell you what it's going to upgrade and it says do you want to upgrade this and you hit yes and then it just does it all for you so you never have to worry about like your software being mm-hmm. out of date because if you just do those two commands when you first start up it just does it all for mm. you. And that's one of the frustrating things with Windows mm. is that there is no one command you can type in that goes update and upgrade. So you're updating all your software, upgrade your operating system all in one command. Yeah. That's not even heard of. No. You know, you're lucky if you get a Windows update. Now here yeah. you're just like done. Yeah. Yeah, everything's new. And once it becomes routine, that's it. You're sweet. And so this is the cool thing about Linux. I've even got a little uh, little applet that sits up on my tray now that will tell me if there's updates to be done. Look, if, if it's something that you want to look at, I definitely recommend at least giving it a go. You can install a virtual machine on your Windows installation with Linux on it just to try it out. Yeah. So you don't need to go full red pill like me. You can dip a toe <laughs> and run quickly back. That's right, yeah. And uh, yeah, if, if, you, if you do, jump on Telegram, have a chat to us, more than happy to help if, um, if you're having issues or you've got questions. Yeah. So back in episode nine, which was my most memorable episode in the first year of our show's existence, mm. and thank you for joining us on the way, um... We discussed privacy coins, and one of the ones that we gave a sort of an honourable mention at the end, which I then went out to go and buy, um, was Cloak Coin. Mm. Now, the return on my investment has been subpar. Um, I would have been better investing in Venezuelan infrastructure <laughs> bonds or some nonsense. But yeah, Cloak Coin was mentioned there. Now, it's a privacy coin. We already discussed this episode, but privacy is incredibly important. It's dear to our hearts. Mm. And why are we bullish on them? So, the reason we're bullish on privacy coins is because it goes back to the very nature of the blockchain. Blockchain technology and a blockchain ledger is immutable and it records all transactions going between people. So if you look at the Bitcoin ledger, you can take any public key, so any account, and you can look at what transactions they've sent, how much money they've got. Um, You might not be able to tell who they actually are, but Mm. if you happen to know who that account belongs to, it makes it very easy for you to see exactly how much money someone has and exactly what transactions they've been sending, which is great for knowing that someone has got the money to send you. It's great for auditability and it's great for trustlessness on a system. Yeah. What it's not great for is if you want to say a bit private, or you don't want people knowing exactly how much money you have or exactly who you've been sending money to, um, it, that makes it very hard mm. because it's a permanent financial Because I ledger. guess that's like the way – so the example would be if you're if we're exchanging in Bitcoin, it's like me holding my wallet open, showing you how much is in there, yep. taking a note out and passing it to you. Yeah. 
I can't and, and like I can't take anything from your wallet, but I can see everything. How much is in there? And it's like you also holding up a big long transaction list in front of my eyes, saying, "This is all the money I've ever sent to anyone mm. ever." It's a bit ostentatious. Isn't yeah, it? It is. so it's it's a real double edged sword. If, if you follow that through, you can start seeing why a lot of governments have got a lot of interest in this technology mm. because from a traceability auditability and tax perspective, if they can get you onto a ledger or even one of these decentralized ledgers where they can know you, what you, who you are and what your account number is, they're able to see all the transactions you've ever done. The reason why we are so bullish on privacy coins is because they change that and they still give you the immutability mm-hmm. and the reliability of the blockchain, but they put like an extra layer in there mm-hmm. to essentially hide... They use different ways of doing it, but to hide who transactions are coming from and going to and keep that trustless element, but kind of put a fog over everything, I guess mm, you could mm, say. Mm. And I think that's going to be very important as people start to, as as states start to to pull the noose tight, as people more and more find that they're get, getting into issues with, um, you know, people are trying to attack them, trying to uh, steal their identity or, you know, they become high profile targets because someone finds out that that's their address and they've got a whole bunch of Bitcoin in it. Suddenly, you know, everyone's trying to social engineer them. Everyone's trying to mm. hack into their computers. And it just makes a lot more sense to have a way to, to hide all that so not everyone can see it. You had the pleasure of meeting the Australian representative at um, for Cloakcoin at Block Conscious. Yeah, I did. Yeah, so uh, Josh Marriage is the uh, is the Australian rep. So shout out to you, mate, if you're listening. We're hopefully going to get him on the show soon, but we thought we'd kind of do a bit of a lead in and uh, cover Cloakcoin uh, before we got him on, so everyone knows a bit about the project and uh, and we can talk about some of the deeper things including his story so his story is really interesting i don't want to spoil it but the reason he's working for cloak now is because he was a victim of identity theft he hadn't really cared about privacy beforehand he thought oh well i've got nothing to hide but once that happened it completely changed his worldview what are some of the high level stats for um for cloak coin yeah so cloak coin is a proof of stake coin and it it gives you a six percent per annum staking reward for staking the coin. So if you're wondering what staking is, staking is essentially where you hold a number of tokens on a blockchain network and you essentially tie them up. So you put them at stake. You say to the network, here's all my tokens. Mm -hmm. I'm now going to act as a node for the network. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to help secure the network. If I do the wrong thing and you find out you can take all my coins. You can mm-hmm. take all the mm-hmm. coins I have at stake. But if I if I do the right thing and I secure the network and act play by the rules, then you reward me mm. because I'm I'm helping keep the network secure. Right. So in exchange for keeping the network secure, you're getting six percent per annum return in Cloakcoin. Correct. Wow, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, and you're also an eligible uh, for what they call an Enigma fee. And Enigma is a new protocol on the network, which we'll talk about in a second. So mm. um, it's a sm- got a small supply. So there's only about 5 million coins currently in circulation. And there's a 6% inflation rate in line with that staking reward. Uh, but that's assuming that everyone's staking. So if everyone's not staking, then that, uh, that number would be, would be lower uh, based on how many people are actually staking. Keen, 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 keen. So there are no masternodes. Every wallet hosts the network. 
and you have the ability if you have a wallet to you know help scare the network yeah um, and switch on staking and uh, they've also got this thing called cloak shield and tor routing which we'll cover soon too so what is this whole enigma thing that's behind them it's Lives up to its name. Yeah, so Enigma's their new protocol. So Cloak's been around since about 2014 and they had one privacy protocol for a fair while and then this Enigma is kind of like their next evolution of the protocol. And it works on cloaking transactions through other users. So if you are able to act as like a Cloak Enigma node, Mm -hmm. you're helping other people make their transactions private. The Cloak network and these users act as a kind of curtain between the two users who are trying to send money to each other. Mm. So neither party who is sending money to the other party can see the other party, uh, but both know they've been they've been paid or they've sent the money. Mm. So that's essentially how it works. It's kind of like having, I guess, like an airlock, you know, and you, you've got two people, one person on one side and one person on the other, and you've got a it, to get to the other side, you've got to like come in, completely shut both doors, and then you know the thing's got to cycle, and then you go out the other side. Right. Same thing with your money. If you want to send money to someone else, you've got to send it through. It's got to be obfuscated and made private, and then it goes to the other person. Say you want to send a 100% private transaction um, with Cloak. How yep. would that be done? Yeah, so say... Person A has a wallet and uh, and they enable Enigma alongside Cloak Shield, which is another technology that they have, um, which supplies an extra layer of encryptment. And uh, the wallet then elects a series of decentralized nodes to do the transactions through. So essentially what you do is you send a transaction to these decentralized nodes. Mm-hmm. They uh, mix it up. So they mix it up with a whole bunch right. of other transactions. And then they send a connection to the person on the other side. And there's a whole bunch of encryption magic that goes on behind the scenes, which we won't go into here. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially what happens is you uh, you receive some encrypted inputs and outputs from the other person, the person trying to send you some money. And then you're able, your, the wallet on your side accepts those inputs and then the money's sent over. Mm. And, and essentially the, uh, the money is sent first. So that the money is essentially sent first to the network. It, deals with all the encryption, make sure that it's it's properly privatized and no one can trace it back to the original sender and then they send it on to the other side. Right. And there's a whole bunch of handshaking and encryption that goes on behind right. the scenes. Easier said than done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but essentially what you need to know is that it gets to the other side and the person on the other side can't tell where it came from, but they know they've been paid. Wow, that's incredible. So Cloak Shield is a really interesting part of Cloak Coin. Now, from what I gather, it it provides like some uh, secure communication between nodes on the Cloak Coin network. Um, it's, it's so that you people can in, uh, exchange data securely, and it's encrypted from end to end. So, what what it is is it involves your private key and somebody else's public key. So, if I wanted to send something to Matt. Um, I would create a shared secret with Matt by using my private key and his public key. And you would do the same, I'm guessing. Yeah. And what that does, that that creates a shared secret. Now, then what they do is they take like a hash or like a digital fingerprint of that shared secret. And it's passed through another algorithm to generate an encryption key. So then messages are sent with that key. So that they can only be decrypted by the people who have that shared secret. That's that's right. So it means that you can send data to the other person, and you can check that data uh, against the 
the, the encryption key and the hash and make sure nothing's been changed. Right. Because if something's been changed, nothing will match up. Wow. And you'll know, even if like one, even if it's like a full stop instead of a comma, the hash mm. would be completely different. Right. Meaning that you know that you haven't received what you should have been receiving from mm. the other side and someone's tampered with it. So it's a way to verify still have like a private communication channel, but also verify that no one's kind of attacking you in the middle and adding uh, or taking away thing. You know, for something like a message, that's probably not as critical, but if you're sending like critical data hmm. that, you know, you may be relying on to implement some form of private software, then you need to know that what you're getting is exactly, especially if you're install, do, installing something mm-hmm. on your computer or mm-hmm. bringing it on your computer, you need to know that it's exactly what the other person said, mm, mm. Um, which is which is really interesting. So it looks like as well as on top of all of this, um, Cloakcoin have actually been audited by a, a pretty reputable Swiss security company. Mm. Yeah, so the, the company's called Cognosec and they audited uh, Cloak back at the start of the year and Cloak have put the entire audit up on their website. So you can go and look at the audit and you can also look at their comments. And it's really interesting because the comments weren't entirely positive. There were some there were some issues that Cognosec identified uh, and some some weaknesses Cognosec identified in, in what was in what how the system worked. And there were also some suggestions that they gave them as to how they could fix things. And What's great to see is that when you go look at this uh, audit report now, Cloakcoin, the Cloakcoin guys have actually put in their status updates on each issue identified by the team. So if you go in there, you can see they said, yeah, this is issue one. This is how we fixed it. This is issue two. This is how we fixed it. This is issue three. This was just a bug. We've remedied the bug and this is how it was done. Mm. So, uh, so they, and that's not something that's done very much in the, um, in the crypto world at all, you know, mm. we talk about Cardano as being the peer-reviewed blockchain, mm. and we're, and it's such a big deal because no one really does it. Mm. Well, Cloak have done a similar thing where they've gone and got a security audit, and they've said, "Don't just trust us that we're secure. We're getting an audit. I believe they're getting audited again as well. So wow. I believe they've they're going back to this company and saying, "We think we fixed everything." Um, and also, the other thing to say is too, what they identified weren't major issues. They were like edge cases, and they essentially said in the report you guys are more secure than nearly anyone else so great job but here's some suggestions for some mm. ways you can fix certain things um so yeah it's it's really encouraging mm. to see that this that these guys have spent the money to go out and and get audited and wow. uh and and you know and then they're taking on board the suggestions and they're they're fixing a lot of the issues that's awesome yeah correction it was actually a Company, a security company headquartered in Sweden, not Switzerland. Right. I always thought GmbH is yeah, Swiss companies, so but maybe it's some European, yeah. some European tradition. That yeah, they have. maybe they're all called that or something. So it has stealth addresses, which is pretty good. And you know, account balances aren't public, are they? No, no, they're not. They're not right. public. I don't think so, anyway. So um, what's well, unless you have anything to add on stealth addresses, what's the future of Cloakcoin? Yeah, so they've got a great roadmap. Um, and if you go to the Cloakcoin Reddit, there's a link to their roadmap up there. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, and they've listed out what they're trying to achieve in the future. And the first thing they're trying to achieve is 
improve a improved proof of stake algorithm. So mm-hmm. one of the things they've identified with the way a lot of these proof of stake algorithms work is that there's this concept called coin age or coinage. They say that it's essentially linear at the moment for most coins, which means that the longer you can show that you've had a coin in your wallet, even if you're not staking it, the easier it is for you to get stake rewards. And if you can work out when you need to turn your wallet back online, um, to get another reward based on this linear algorithm, you can essentially not have your wallet online for most of the time and just log it back in whenever you're ready to get a reward. Mm. And it'll give you that reward and then you just log back off again. And a lot of these systems have this issue where they're, you know, where they're linear. And so Cloak want to make it so that, because that doesn't help secure the network. If you're logging off mm. and logging back on again, you're essentially like, we call it min-maxing. You're trying to game the system, mm. essentially, to get as much efficiency out of it as possible to make the most money. Yeah. Um, so they want to fix that and they want to make a system whereby you're paid in smaller increments but more often to make sure that, you know, it's if the, the people that are staying online securing the network are getting properly rewarded mm-hmm. and those that aren't are only getting rewarded for the time they're actually online. Mm. Um, so that's the first thing. They also want to combine and split the transactions on the network. So say you're a Enigma whale and you've got a bunch of money mm. and you want to send a big transaction to someone else. At the moment, you might just have to send that as one transaction. They want to make it so that you can essentially split them up into like 30 different transactions. Wow. So, and, and mix them all together. So, wow. all those different transactions look like they've come from different places, which is really That's interesting. A really interesting concept. Yeah. So, if I'm sending someone 100 grand, it'll send, you know, 100 $1,000 transactions. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, cool. the other one they're looking at is so let's say there's 20 people wanting to send transactions. At the moment, those 20 people send transactions, they go to the network, and then the network, um, uh, the network essentially anonymizes them and then sends them on to the person they need to go to. There, what what Cloak want to do is have like a pool that all those transactions go into, mm-hmm. and then they get rolled around. From that pool, they all go out to the people that they need to be going to. But your Cloak coin that you sent won't necessarily go to someone else's address. It might be the Cloak coin that someone else sent to go to. The, their intended recipient and so they essentially want to have like a a big mixer in the middle to pull that money together and uh and then just and then just send it out to the people that need to be receiving it that's awesome they really seem to be focused on making a great product yeah um so yeah and they've been around for a long time too i think that's the thing. other thing to say is that uh that a lot of these privacy coins are quite new um and, but these guys have been around since 2014 you know, so they've been around for a lot longer. There were some team issues. So the uh, I think most of the team did leave towards the end of 2014, but mm-hmm. then they reinvigorated it early 2015 and they've been going strong mm-hmm. since then too. So they're one of the older projects. They've, they've, uh, they've had their little pumps along the way and then uh, they've, you know, settled back into it and they just seem to be developing a really good product now. Yeah, I, I'm, I bought it at $17, no, $16. <laughs> really? It's now on uh, $2.60. <laughs> yep. Did you buy it? You bought it the... Oh, the, I didn't buy it at the peak. It, it it was looking great for a point there. Yeah. When I, when I doubled. Yeah. <laughs> then came crashing down. But um, yeah, anyway, check out Cloakcoin. Uh, we'll try and get uh, Josh on the show sometime soon. 
Mm. And uh, yeah, just mm. look after yourself out there. Oh, mate, we got a call coming in. Hello? Oh, yes, hello. Uh, is this uh, is this Matt? Uh, hello? Jordan, is that you? Oh, mate, I thought I wasn't going to get through to you. Huh? You have moved houses, everything, lots of things are changing, huh? Mate, how did you get my number? You know, Jordan Cronier finds out these things. There's nothing you can do about it. I'm a detective, huh? Right. Okay, Jordan. Um, mate, wh- wh- where are you at? Okay, a funny story, actually. I'm I'm in Australia, you know. You're here? Yes. Uh, I-, I figured, you know, if I can get through customs in, in, in Zimbabwe, I can get through customs anywhere. Well, how'd you how'd you find getting through customs, Jordan? Funnily enough, they, they took my phone off me. They give it back to me. It's, it's all broken. You know, it's... it's, 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 it's it's ridiculous, huh? There was fingerprints on the screen. I didn't like it. Really? Oh, mate, they definitely tampered with that screen. It's got, yeah, there's grease marks on it and everything. Did they give you any reason, Jordan, or they just take it off you? Oh, they just said because, huh? But you got through customs? Yes, yes. So you're here in Australia. Um, you haven't you haven't come to visit yet. Oh. What are you doing? You, you know I'm a journalist. I'm a journalist by trade. I've been doing this for years. You know, I write articles for all of the big places, you know, I've decided to double down this year and focus on what I do best, huh? So have you, have you joined a, a, an online news site? Or are you freelancing? Are you writing a blog? What are you doing? Do you know what? I actually sort of job advert for a fearless adversary of journalists. Um, so I've, I've taken up a job at a news corporation. News Corp. Uh, yes, it's uh, run by, um, you know, that, uh, the, 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 the old man. Yes, him, you know? Rupert Murdoch. Okay, so you're uh, you're working for the Murdoch Corporation News Corp for fearless adversarial journalism. Oh, look, it's not everything it's cut out to be. You know, I, I I had ideas of you know shining lights, you know, with Jordan Cronier's name on it. It's been a lot more tricky, huh? You know, I've wanted to get stories through. You know, I've been trying to put so many stories through to the you know newsworthy stories for people. I'm getting shut down every step of the way, huh? So what kind of stories you've been trying to get through, Jordan? Oh, look, there's. They decided that I was just entertainment journalism and not proper tech journalism, you know. Right. So what have they what have they been getting you doing then, Jordan? If you're not reporting on your escapades or crypto, or you're not chasing down John McAfee? To be honest, I've been doing a lot of you know sh- uh, shuffling of papers. I've been sitting in meetings, and um, yes, I'm pretty. I'm a pretty big deal, huh? Okay, Jordan. So, so not really the fierce adversarial journalism that you've uh, you've you've been craving. Oh, look, it's a work in progress. You know, every 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 diamond starts as a, a lump of carbon. Yes. Well, look, Jordan. I mean, I know that you've got this new job at News Corp, and it sounds like it's going really well for you. But uh, but we've still. We've got quite a backlog of articles we've been waiting on. Oh, I mean, if you look, visit the FOMO uh, Show I've site, you can see through. that I'll there's no you. articles there. There haven't been any articles there for a very long time. Jordan? Jordan. <sighs> that, that man. He is just reckless. He's working at News Corp. Right. Well, oh, what do they say? Keep your friends close and... Uh, <laughs> And your enemy's closer. I reckon he's busting them from within, isn't he? Oh, if anyone can bring down that organisation from within, it'll be Jordan Cronier. <laughs> I'm actually really looking forward to our next call from Jordan because yeah. uh, uh, one way or another, that, that job will be ending soon. <laughs> Do you know someone who might enjoy this? Why not share it with them? 
You can find us at FOMO.show. And you can jump on our telegram at FOMO.show slash telegram. You can follow us on Twitter at the underscore FOMO underscore show. At Facebook at Facebook.com slash the FOMO show. And YouTube at FOMO.show slash YouTube. That's it for us here at the FOMO show. Thank you so much for joining us. If you want to help us grow, feel free to leave us a rating. Um, don't be too honest. I'm Matt. And I'm Joe. And as always, remember, no FOMO. This episode is going to be like, I'm pretty sure if you're listening, you can hear that we are struggling, struggling our way through life. What are those buckets? You know those buckets that like you see those like American prepper. Oh, yeah. It's like, go, this is chicken curry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're like, all you got to do is pour water in this, you know, and oh, like, and, like pour water that, in, yeah, like lightning around. That was terrible. Yeah. That was so depressing. Though. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that makes you lose faith in humanity, isn't it? When you watch that video. I'm butchering this, man. It's because it's so complex. (laughs) I'm trying to distill it down into... uh... I feel like sometimes, you know, you walk up to the beach and you see this beautiful sea and the sunset and the light and you're just like, I hate the government. (laughs) 